Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyer Labs, and today we are lucky enough to have Eric Shamlin with us. And Eric is the executive producer at Secret Location, which is a content studio for emerging platforms. And that means they work in virtual reality and making media much more interactive. And so they're, they're quite creative. They worked on a number of short shows like The Blacklist. They worked with the LA Philharmonic and Big Brother Canada. And they have a, number, a bunch of other creative content like uh, their Perfect Storm show, which is pretty amazing. So I'm excited to hear about more about Eric's thought process and his background and, and what he's excited about. And he has a great background in media and production and storytelling. So Eric, thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's, it's very exciting to talk to you. Definitely. Well, I'm excited. And I, I need to apologize. In the, I'm sorry, I need to apologize in advance to your, to your audience uh, for all the sniffling and maybe some coughing. I'll, I'll try and mute myself as <laughs> I go into a coughing fit. That's right. Uh, but it, our, our office got overcome with the plague, uh, so we've all been taken down. Uh, I was out this weekend with, you know, bedridden with us. This, oh, wow. This was cold, so I apologize. Yeah, no no problem. Cough away. We we, we know how it is. Mm-hmm. So just, just maybe turn your head a little bit from the your mic, but that's <laughs> Yeah. Uh, all right. So, um, yeah, and you ever have to get some water, just, you know, go ahead. And, uh, so, yeah, I've got a whole uh, bottle. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, sounds good. So uh, before we talk about uh, you know what you're doing on Secret Location, let's talk about your background a little bit. Can you just give us um, kind of an overview on your background and then I'll have some follow-up questions? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, 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 I get this question rather frequently because, you know, uh, I'm, I'm now neck deep in VR, uh, and it's not a, it, that's not really a career you can like set out to do, particularly <laughs> where I started almost 20, 22 years ago. Um, I, I've been a bit of a media nomad to, you know, to kind of put a word to it. Uh, I started out in news when I was 19 and started at ABC News and worked there for about, I don't know, uh, six years or so. Uh, and, you know, love telling stories. That's where I really caught the sort of media bug, you know, the storytelling bug. And, uh, but, you know, after having some success in the news world, I decided I wanted to, you know, see if Hollywood is a real thing. Because, uh, you know, I was raised in Alabama and, you know, Hollywood just seemed like it was not a real <laughs> opportunity or a real possibility. So, but after six years in news, um, I decided to move to the West Coast. And I actually ended up in visual effects, CG, at a, a pretty good post-production house in San Francisco. And so I worked in CG, uh, producing visual effects for you know, movies like uh, Sin City and Spider-Man 2 and a bunch of other big films in the early 2000s. Uh, this is also a time when the world was trying to figure out how to make money on the internet. And I've always been a bit of an, a nerd or a dabbler. I've always been on like BBSs and websites, um, you know, back in the dark ages of the internet. And um, I parlayed that. I transitioned basically from C- I was in CG for, I don't know, again, maybe five or six years. And then I transitioned into digital media. And uh, I think the height of that was, I was working at a large brand agency called Good Service Partners. Uh, they're famous for like, Got Milk and a bunch of other sort of general campaigns and 
I was blessed to work on some of the bigger um, clients, um, most notably Chevy. I led a lot of big cross-platform digital marketing efforts for Chevy, and uh, it was it was kind of a heyday of digital advertising. So the budgets were, you know, generous, and we got to do some pretty innovative stuff. I uh, had a lot of fun, and so um, I was able to leverage my live action, my visual effects, my digital experience doing that. Uh, that my digital path culminated in Apple, where I worked for as a contractor for about a year uh, on the iPhone five. And uh, while I loved it, I loved Apple. Um, it was a little bit too much in the weeds in terms of like digital for me as large scale website development. Um, and so about three years ago, I returned to LA or not returned to I moved to LA, hoping to sort of return more to a storytelling background or creative background. And this that happened to time out at the same time as like the kicks the Palmer Lucky Kickstarter that Oculus, you know, was coming into uh the conscious. And I just happened to uh, start freelancing around town and worked on a couple of the very early big VR projects. And so uh, VR just became this kind of natural fit because of my background. You know, I think um, depending on where you are in the VR landscape, you need to have you know a pretty good live action background, pretty good CG background, a good intro, you know, good you know foundation in interactive or game or type mediums, and VR sort of addresses all those skill sets. And so it was kind of a lucky fit for me, a lucky event for me, and I just have to be in kind of right place, right time, and. Um, I've been sort of blessed over the next three, the last three years to really kind of ride this VR wave and it sort of exploded into wider consciousness. Yeah, it's like it's like your entire background like is like a a pretty good mix for VR. And uh, di- so, did you with the visual effects? Did you actually do the development, or do you kind of oversee that part of it? Or it was more over more overseeing. I was a producer. I've always been a producer sort of by title, uh, but I've never been just the budget and task manager producer type. I've always, you know, forced myself to actually get on and learn the tools of the trade. Um, uh, so in visual effects, I got, a, got to be a fairly decent, you know, compositor. Um, I, got, I started learning Flame and Inferno and a little bit of Nuke and After Effects. And so I got to be a, a you know, fairly competent compositor uh, can model a fair amount, but you know I'm not sure you'd want me to necessarily you know work on your next blockbuster. But <laughs> as an artist, but I, I I've always been fairly hands on. Uh, um, and it sort of goes back to my time in news, I think, because a producer in news is the lead writer, is the lead editor most times, is the lead sort of creative voice, you know, uh, for all intents and purposes. Um, there's a there's a term that's come up over recent years called predator. It's a producer editor, um, and that's in news. You are you have to do it all because there's no other team, and so you shoot it, you write it, you edit it, you put it all together. Um, plus, you manage all the budget and the logistics and stuff. So you kind of handle you know full soup to nuts. And I've always operated that way, so I've never really separated creative from production the way a lot of uh, industries are trying to or do. Um, and so in visual effects, I made sure I, I figured out, I wanted to learn how to do visual effects, not just from the production thing, but actually hands-on. And then uh, in my digital days, you know, I, I got pretty competent in JavaScript and you know, a little bit of PHP. Uh, so I just wanted to make sure I, more than anything, I felt my skill as a producer was speaking multiple languages and being able to 
you know, know the pain that I was about to put someone through. Like if I came with a, a last minute change, I wanted to know, you know, more or less what I'm, what I'm asking of the developers or the animators. Like, is it, is it a two hour task or a two week task kind of thing? And, you know, I got a, I got a very good sense of doing that. And I think that ultimately was, was very successful in these different fields. And so back when you were a 19 year old kid, uh, well, I guess technically adult, but uh, you know, what, what drew you to the news at that time? Uh, I had all, well, it's funny. So um, I've always been a storyteller. I was always dabbling with writing and stuff as a kid. And I think I grew up sort of admiring, you know, like the, the Tom Brokaw's and the Peter Jennings. And, you know, I really wanted to tell big news, big, big stories. And, um, in a small town in northern Alabama, that's pretty much the only outlet you have to be in media. Um, there's just not a lot of opportunities in small towns. Um, and I managed to get a job, you know, when I was 19 as associate producer and quickly worked my way up, you know, to managing the entire broadcast and traveling the world. Um, so I, I just think it was part of a need in me to tell those stories and communicate with others. Um, to inform an audience or hopefully entertain the audience nowadays. Um, <laughs> I think I've always sort of had that need to be a kind of a storyteller. Um, and at that time I wanted to tell true stories or real stories and, you know, create empathy and uh, kind of a shared experience with people. Uh, later in life, I, I wanted to end up telling my own sort of fictional stories, but um, I think at, at my heart, I've always been uh, a storyteller. What type of stories do you like to tell, let's say, in your spare time or, or for professionally? Well, that's a good question. I, I still have a lot of love for documentary news. Um, even at uh, Secret Location, uh, a fair amount of the work we've done has been documentary. And mm -hmm. I've, always, I've always kept kind of a, a one foot in that world, uh, even since I left it you know, almost like 20 years ago. 16 years ago, I guess. Um, I've just always sort of stayed at least one foot in that world just because I, I think it's such a powerful medium and it's, a, it's such important work, I think, just to create awareness and, and, and share those stories. So I, I, I would say my first one is still in sort of true stories and, and documentary type news, biography type work. Uh, in the more creative fields or more narrative fiction world, I think I lean toward science fiction. Um, just uh, science fiction and maybe thriller. Uh, um, I've been a holdout fan of M. Night Shyamalan. I know he's <laughs> he's, uh, he's fallen out of uh, favor in a lot of ways, but I, I was a big fan of his early on. Um, big fan of J.J. Abrams and uh, Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson is probably one of my favorites of the current filmmakers in Hollywood. Um, you know, with, with Looper and um, it's just phenomenal, phenomenal work. So um, genre bending, sci-fi, thriller type stuff. It's probably the stuff I, I, I resonate most with. So do you still uh, get pretty involved at the um, with with storytelling at the secret location? I mean, yeah. Um, in fact, um, as a company, we kind of grew up uh, doing what's called service work. You know, we, we for brands and commercials and for. Yeah. Um, 
uh, even for the studios and TV production companies, you know, the stuff we did for like Blacklist and Big Brother, um, you know, that's stuff that we were kind of paid to do um, as essentially marketing work, marketing extension work. And you can make a great living at that and it treated us very well. But over the last uh, few months, um, we've taken a really concerted effort to sort of pivot and focus on more original content. So we're developing our own series and even some games and we are uh, we launched a project back in the fall uh, called Halcyon which was a which I think is the first of its kind TV VR hybrid uh, that we did in partnership with the Sci-Fi Channel Sci-Fi International actually um, and so and that was an original concept concept we came up with internally uh, and pitched to Sci-Fi and they, they loved it and they, they went ahead and screened it for us and so that's been the real shift uh, for the company lately and something I've been blessed to sort of be in the middle of is helping figure out what that like that strategy should be and what types of content we should go after and you know, how big of a bite we should take off basically in this in this world. So we're slowly shedding some of the service work. I mean, we're still doing a, a decent amount of it, but the trend definitely is, is more towards original content and trying to figure out how we tell stories directly to to consumer and build an audience. Interesting. Okay. Well, let's talk more about that. Uh, but first, can you maybe give us a, a brief overview on Secret Location? I did a poor job in the intro. Sure. <laughs> sure. Uh, Secret Location has been around about eight years or so, I believe. Um, originally, uh, a digital production company, digital agency, depending on who you talk to, um, doing you know, high-end production work for brands and entertainment partners. Um, So most of our clients were in the entertainment world. So it was the studios and broadcasters and producers. And they would look to us to develop kind of an online strategy on, you know, should they do short form content online or websites or apps or games. And uh, we made a really good um, reputation for ourselves, developing some really cutting edge work to help broaden uh, the TV shows or movies into sort of a more interactive and digital space. Um, that went hugely well. We grew very rapidly um, in the early days. And then, yeah, I think a lot, like a lot of the industry, um, we started seeing that work start to commodify a bit or dry up a little bit. Um, not so much, but what, what sort of sort of galvanized a new direction for us was the sort of Palmer Lucky, Palmer Lucky Kickstarter. You know, that was the Oculus Kickstarter. And, you know, our developers were big supporters of the Kickstarter. We had a few of those, we got a few of those, you know, DK1s in our office very, very early on. And as a company, we just sort of fell in love with the medium. We just felt it was, you know, the birth of the medium, you know, untold opportunity and possibility to tell new stories in new ways. And um, I think the first couple of years after the debut of VR, you know, we sort of folded it into our larger service funnel and you know, we'd do your website, we'd do your VR project, we'd sort of do a little bit of everything in the digital world. And then more and more, we started realizing, well, let's, let's really just focus on the VR stuff. And so we, you know, have slowly taken less and less of the, the web work and the sort of platform work and have focused almost exclusively on VR for the last two or three years. Um, 
And it's been a big success. It's been something that's one of those things that every, I don't know, every three to six months we wake up and we're expecting the bubble to pop and you know, <laughs> us to go back and have to figure out what the next business plan is or whatever. But VR just doesn't seem to be stopping for us. And it's, it's, it's you know, it, while it's still hard to make money in it, uh, it's possible now. You know, there's you know definitely some success stories. We've had some success, and we're we're seeing a bigger and bigger appetite, not only from the public but investors, in trying to figure out what this new entertainment medium will be. And so we've been blessed to kind of be in that forefront of companies that has kind of staked out a territory, made a name, uh, and now we're sort of you know putting all our chips in as it were, to kind of figure out if we can make a go of storytelling in the community. Yeah, well, you guys are definitely on the kind of the, the cutting edge of VR, so when it does really take off, and when the production, when, when budgets go way up, you guys should be in a good position, but yes, I could see that that's probably sometimes the viewership probably isn't qu- quite as strong, of course, as this TV. Yeah. But eventually, I can't imagine most things will, or a lot of things will be in VR, not everything, but yeah, there there are, there are some hopeful signals. Like I was just reading, you know, there's, I, I read you know, the trades and uh, the first game, uh, Arizona Sunshine, I think it's called, just made you know, over a million bucks in its first month in VR, which is a wow. pretty significant yeah. milestone. And then and then there's another headline, uh, Resident Evil on PlayStation is averaging 60,000 concurrent users wow. for the VR version. Um, so, you know, we take our successes where we can. You know, those are, <laughs> you know, they're, those are, you know, positive signals because it, it's easy to get sort of, uh, depressed or frustrated because, you know, um, the uptake or adoption hasn't been quite as aggressive as I think a lot of people were hoping. You know, personally, I've always been a bit more sober. I've always thought this was a, a long-term commitment. You know, it took, it took a decade for phones, you know, before the smartphone arrived after the debut of cell phones. You know, it, and, and, you know, we had our cell phones in the early, mid-90s. iPhone didn't debut until you know, 2007. And so you have to give you know, the medium and the technology time to mature. And I think, I still think we're very early on. I think it's going to be another, another several years before it's really mainstream ready. Well, de- definitely. I mean, even with the, the lighter lighter weight headsets like the gear yeah gear vr and some of those other ones um daydream you know even there you know after like 15 and 20 minutes sometimes i need to take a little break so uh i can see you know that's just gonna get better and better and uh within uh you know three four years hopefully they'll be comfortable enough you can sit there for hours and not not worry about it and uh and maybe i'm just kind of a wuss (laughs) but uh um yeah but Definitely is the meeting of the, the future. And so so I'm curious, you know, you, how do you come up with original content for VR? Because I've thought a lot about this. Kind of like, you know, watching stuff in VR. And I'm like, oh, what would be like a cool show? Or how do you use the medium? Because, you know, you can do so much with it. But, um, yeah, I mean, can you give, an exa- can you give some examples? Um, what, well, I guess may not what you're working on, but what you've done or kind of your thought process yeah i well um first of all we start with it's sort of sort of a pat answer but i think we always start with this story and we find a story we think would be compelling in vr something that allows us 
to take advantages of the opportunities that are given to us in VR. That's, you know, the sense of presence that everybody talks about and a location, you know, you know, uh, the comparison of traditional film, you know, we, we, you know, a lot of traditional filmmakers and traditional storytellers come to us and they want to do a VR, but the problem is in VR, you lose a lot of the traditional toolkit, you know, you know close-ups and montages and, you know, a lot of, you know, different lens yeah. lengths, you know, you lose a lot of that, um, that stuff, which sounds sort of simple, but at the end of the day, that is, that is the toolkit for telling stories in cinema. And you lose all of that in VR. But what you gain is that, that sense of presence and then the sense of location or teleportation taking you someplace. And so you can play a lot with like mood and setting and atmosphere a lot more than, um, than you could in traditional film. And so that lends itself to certain types of stories. And so we tend to find the stories that we think will allow us to uh, develop those moods or those atmospheres. I think it's also less about telling a story A to B, which it still is, but more setting up a, a world or a self-contained world that allows a level of exploration um, that is also you know, uncomfortable to, I think, traditional storytellers. It's, 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 it's taking advantage of a lot of the lessons that, frankly, games have been exploring for the past 20 years. Um, and then combining that with the storytelling uh, that you know Hollywood brings, and I think that's more on the writing angle and um, you know building compelling stories, compelling arcs, compelling worlds. Um, it's a little bit of sort of miniature world building uh, for us. And so you know, I'm, I know I'm being very general today here, but it's it's just finding for us a lot of it is science fiction, science fiction worlds. Uh, that allow you to explore um, and add that to the mystery. Um, we're, we are, I mean, I'm, unfortunately I can't talk about any of our specific projects right now, but we, we do have three different pieces of fairly large IP that we're dealing with, uh, well-established authors in science fiction, and then we're, we're looking to adapt them into, you know, interactive narratives. I think it's sort of the holy grail for a lot of companies like ours. We're trying to figure out how we tell compelling, immersive, narrative stories with a you know with a beginning, middle, and end, but that also sort of expand or collapse or allow you to explore at certain moments so that it it preserves the sense of agency and, and presence that uh, the medium um, allows. Uh, and so it is, it's a balancing act. Of, you know, I think stories must drive; they must they must be a beginning and end, but once you put a headset on, um, there's also a, set, a need to sort of look around and explore and sort of let it breathe. And so it's 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 just finding that balance and moment balance or finding moments that allow you to do both uh, in sort of a in, in an invisible way. It's not you know, heavy-handed to the user. And no, that's a, a great description, and I like the comparison to traditional, um, you know, movie storytelling versus what you what versus what you have with VR. And so do, do you have, do you have an example like from a past? I know you can't talk about current stuff, so maybe you don't have an example, but where a story was great for, or how you told the story was great for VR, um, but maybe wasn't as great for a traditional um, media. Uh, do you have anything like that? Well, our, the best example I have is our recent project Halcyon. Um, it's something we're incredibly proud of and you should, 
thrust your Oculus headset down, download. <laughs> um, but it, there was a lot of lessons learned on on can, the best okay. way to. Can you, can you spell that for the audience so that make sure that they can? Yeah, actually, yeah. yeah, it's Halcyon, H A L C Y O N. It was a. It was a. Originally, it was a collaboration with the Sci Fi Channel or Sci Fi International. Actually, I need to be very clear about that. Um, and it debuted in 80 territories around the world. It was a, you know, sci-fi project. It was our original IP, sci-fi, then uh, greenlit, and then it launched on Oculus. I believe it was an Oculus exclusive uh, for a good while. And it's now been recently released in the U.S. Um, in North America. They started out as an international-only release just to kind of test it, and it did well. And so they bought it. Uh, we, we bought it domestic now. Uh, and the basic conceit there is it's uh, a near-future police procedural uh, where crimes are now happening in virtual reality. Um, and in this world, and in this fictional world, um, the CEO of Halcyon, which is a big VR company, gets murdered while in VR. And that's the first of its kind. Like, how, do you, how can somebody die in VR? And, um, and so the... Project, the version we shot was actually the pilot or a pilot. Um, and we shot a one hour TV show. And then um, their challenge was internationally, they have this uh, sort of mismatch of formats. Internationally, uh, most countries have 50 minute content blocks, but most traditional American formats are 22 or 44 minutes. So, you know, typically they're ending up with a six minute gap where by law, they can't fill ads, they add, um, and then obviously the content's too short. So you end up with a six-minute gap. And traditionally, they've been uh, using that six-minute gap to air like solo filler or uh, music videos or PSAs. Um, but, you know, they're, we're in this like sort of arms race, gold rush era of TV where um, airtime is becoming more and more premium, more and more valuable all the time. Uh, just because it's so hyper competitive right now. And so, you know, they were trying to figure out is there a way to use that gap to sort of test new content or air short form content that maybe later could become a full series or whatever. Um, and so, you know, they, were, they asked us uh, if we had any ideas for a short form project. And um, we had this idea for Halcyon about the, the virtual reality. Uh, the murder of virtuality, and we pitched it to them, and they 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 loved it. And you know, sort of the catch with the pitch was that it also has a VR component. And uh, you know, this timing out well uh, with the this whole rise of VR, uh, they decided to go for it. And so, agreement it, and it's a one-hour pilot that can also be cut, chopped up into essentially six-minute episodes and six-minute episodes. And that's how it aired and actually was broadcast internationally as interstitial material. I'm sorry about talking shit going on. No problem. Interesting. Just muted. Okay, sounds good. Um, and so then, and so then, the six minute, the the, uh, the those ten episodes can also be collapsed into a full hour pilot. But then, in between each of the linear episodes, you can put your headset on and go into VR. And so, the TV show is the pop drama, the investigation into what's going on around the murder, uh, and then. Since the murder happened in VR, they've taken the memories. They've been able to, through this technology, to recreate 
parsing his memories because you know, he uses the impact for VR. And so you, they use that technology to recreate parts of the memories, and that's what you would get to experience in VR is a recreation of his, his last couple of minutes alive um, as they piece it together and uh, sleuth who ultimately killed him. Uh, and so it's, you know, it's a traditional TV show, 16 by 9 video, beautifully shot, you know, very proud of it. And then uh, you can go into a, a essentially game engine, animated world, CG world, uh, recreation of the crime scene. Um, obviously, when it airs, you know, you're not going to rush to your headset right away, but you do have that option. But if you actually download the Oculus version, it's constructed in a way that it volleys between both the linear and the VR episodes uh, somewhat uh, seamlessly. Because hmm. uh, the entire the entire thing takes place in the crime scene, essentially the virtual recreated crime scene. And you get to watch the linear episodes on the giant screen TV in the crime scene. And then at the end of the episodes, the, the, the crime scene around you sort of comes alive. And you get to interact and you know, play detecting in the crime scene. And then once you've sort of smoothed out that scene, uh, it triggers the next the next chapter. And you get to watch that on the screen. So it, it volleys between the interactive episodes and the linear episodes, uh, the Oculus version. So, huh. Uh, we think it's a pretty unique, I mean, it's very unique. Uh, we think first of its kind, we're very, very proud of it. It, it turned out very well. It's been a big success for us. Um, and I definitely hope you know, your audience goes and checks it out. Uh, we don't know of anything else in the landscape quite like it yet. Yeah, I don't I don't either. And now I really want to know what else you're working on. I know you can't share, but... <laughs> <'cause>, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, this will be... Uh... I think a, a good future for all of us if we keep producing stuff like that. That's for sure. Um, yeah, it's pretty exciting. I mean, it's like there were, I'm not gonna. Uh, there were a lot of lessons learned on how to do it even better. Uh, it was the first time for us, and um, you know, like everybody, you 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 put your piece of art out in the world, and you know the world, you know, you know applauds and loves it, but all you can see is the warts. Uh, <laughs> yes. um, uh, there's a little bit of that, like. You know, I want to do it again. It's kind of a short version of what I want us to tee up and do it again and uh, do it better and learn from learn from the mistakes. And um, luckily, we're get we're, we've already we're already getting that chance. Um, oh, and good. Yeah, sadly, I have to tiptoe around what those properties are, but right. we've already got uh, three uh, three very large you know, IP projects in 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 development, uh, and you know, a lot of them will take advantage of. Uh, take advantage of the lessons learned uh, through the process of uh, building Halcyon. Can you uh, share any of the lessons, or are they all uh, confidential? Um, no, it's not confidential. It's um, I think it's it's more about nuance. On huh. uh, I think we tied the linear to the VR a little too tightly, and I might be speaking out of school here. I'm sure some of my team might disagree a bit. Um, I think they like the, we did a great job. The TV can live on its own. Um, if you just watch the TV show and never watch the VR show, you'll have a, a great TV experience. But the VR requires the TV a little bit more okay. uh, to connect the threads, and so you can't have just a pure VR experience. Or it's a it's, it's a it's a it's a bit more challenging experience. Luckily, in the VR, you get both, so that's not a big issue. But um, 
I would like to figure out how to tell an interactive story that is a companion to TV TV piece, but um, has its own life. Uh, it has its own arc and is a self-contained, self you know self-sufficient um, narrative unto itself. And that you know it may go back and forth as a, a TV property or a film property, but um, is satisfying and complete unto itself. I'm not sure if that makes sense. Gotcha, but, no. um, that makes sense. Um, I, I, I think there were some uh, decisions or, you know, it's all hindsight. It, it, it turned out really strong, so I don't, uh, I bad doubt it, but it's, it's, I think we've seen some opportunities to do it better now. Yeah. Well, that's the case with everything. You know, even, even the most perfect uh, piece of art or technology, the creator will always be like, oh, I could do this better. I could do that better next time. Like, that's what makes it interesting. <laughs> so even though, it's, even though you are very proud of it, I'm sure there's always uh, lessons learned. Um, yeah. And, and, and the response has been great. Uh, you know, we had a great press response, and then the users have really responded to it well. So that's the other thing. Yours at Social State, where the community is really appreciative of anything that sort of stands out right now, because uh, I feel like there's a lot of similar projects coming out. And um, if you do something that sort of is a little bit different or a little bit different take on um, what the medium has done so far, uh, the 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 audience or the you know the, the marketplace really responds well to that. I think. And I think we took a, uh, a, a gamble and it, it's paid off well. Nice. Very nice. Okay. And so we're almost done here, but I got one or two more questions. Okay. And uh, yeah. one of them is around uh, the the Perfect Storms show that you worked on and, uh, mm-hmm. and education. And uh, yeah, about, I, people always say like, oh, you know, VR is going to transform education. I can definitely see how that's possible, but I haven't seen like a lot of good, hard examples of that. And then... Uh, sure. Um, but I could see, you know, what, uh, and you can maybe just briefly describe perfect storms, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that really just brings everything alive. I mean, it's amazing how you, uh, you know, I think it's like six disasters or or was it six disasters that, uh, and that you, uh, highlighted and then kind of brought the viewer back to that day. And I don't think it was VR, but oh my goodness, like I could see. You'll never forget that. Like if you, I could see. I mean, are you interested in doing more? It's almost like entertainment education, um, in some ways. Um, yeah. Uh, so that one was, you know, we recreated it was a yeah six part documentary recounting uh, actual disastrous storms uh, throughout history, um, and. I, that was not a VR project. It, it was a web project. It was one of the, you know, it was something we were doing a lot of for a long time. Okay. Doing these really beautiful web projects uh, with like full on shoots and live act, you know, live action shoots and CG and animation. Um, and so that's kind of where our core skill skill set got owned is adapting various mediums to tell you know interactive or integrated story. Um, I mean, but to your question about uh, is it, you know, how will these technologies be used to for ed, you know education purposes? I, absolutely, I, I think. Uh, I mean, personally, I think education is going to adopt uh, VR more broadly before I think uh, the mainstream public does. 
um, because there are so many use cases like perfect storms where you can recreate events from history and take people there and be on the front line of of, of the, these these occasions. Uh, there's a there, there's a probably a great example of this, although I've not seen it, but just been reading the reviews coming out on Sundance about a uh, VR documentary about the Civil War. It was like a Civil War reenactment huh. thing that uh, somebody did. That is just getting rave reviews uh, because it's just so beautifully done. It's you know uh, gracefully and you know artfully shot, and it's done in full 360. So it places you uh, on the front lines of a recreation of a, a Civil War battle. And I think that's just fundamental. Like I, I, I really think um, news, documentary, any sort of nonfiction, even like sports, uh, is like next level in VR. Um, and so I think as more and more people are able to create this type of content, you're going to find people finding ways to recreate uh, significant moments from the past and taking you there because you just can't. Um, you can't underestimate the power of that presence. And I know if you've been talking to people in VR for a while, you get sort of sick of hearing that word, but it's, it's true. It's fundamentally true that your brain actually starts thinking or experiencing things in a different way in VR and that it, it starts to trick you that you're there. Things are just, uh, you know, perceived they're lived and, and it creates actual memories of, having experienced something or been somewhere. And uh, right now to produce the content is rather pricey and it's, it's problematic. Now the cameras are really point and shoot yet. And it's, it's sort of complicated to to produce this stuff. But I think as that friction starts to go down, you'll have people that are passionate about certain things start to produce content about E-Day or uh, the French Renaissance or, you know, you know, civil war, and um, I think those will start being used in the classroom much more quickly than even a mainstream uh, audience will adopt it at home. And so, I, I think VR is going to be fundamental to education in fairly short order. And even without the recreation stuff, uh, there's just a lot of stuff around, uh, you know, dynamic learning and puzzles, inter- you know, group learning that you can do in VR uh, through sort of social multiplayer. Um, team building exercises uh, that I think will be uh, pretty impactful. So I, I, I just see like untold uh, opportunity for edu- VR in education. Interesting. And I'm curious, and I know we're pretty much out of time, but uh, sure. um, with like D-Day. Yeah, sorry, I rattled on. Oh, no, that was great. Yeah, and though with the D Day um, reenactment, I mean, do you see that more as um, kind of cr- creating the whole 3D? digital screen from scratch or more like a 360 video type of, type of experience? That's, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, I think early on it'd probably be 360 video. Um, I, think three, I think 360 video is sufficient for that for a time. I, I do think the technology is going to continue to evolve and soon you'll start having you know, the more exotic after perform, uh, playback technologies, you know, the volumetric stuff. Um, which is not really practical right now, but as vol- volumetric capture starts to become more a reality, then you can make it much more interactive and actually walk around you know, the 
Battle of Gettysburg or whatever, mm. and recreate that in VR. I do think that's a bit far out. Um, I think right now you could, you could do a version of that, but it's going to look very much like a game engine, uh, like a Call of Duty, yeah, Gettysburg style. <laughs> um, I think you could do something like that right now, but if you want that something that's a bit more photoreal or, um, you know, uh, brings in actual characters, actual people, uh, you're going to require in the volumetric uh, capture. And I think from a practical standpoint, that's still a few years out. Okay. Um, but so, so right now I think you're either looking at a game engine recreation or a, or a 360 video, I think for the near term. Gotcha. It is, do you think there's much, uh, opportunity to combine the two? I'm not even sure how that would look or if that's possible, but you might be the one yeah. to ask. <laughs> uh, it is, it's, it's very tricky. Um, they don't, they don't really work well together. Uh, although, you know, I know Unity and Unreal are doing everything they can to do more and more video support, okay. to, you know, stereoscopic video support. Uh, there are ways, uh, but those tend to look like um, sort of choose your own adventure type uh, experiences where it's essentially a video experience, but at different points you get option A or B and you get to fork the narrative. Um, you know, uh, depending on which way you look or which you know which character you're interested in, you you stare at the protagonist for three seconds and accuse another video, and you follow the protagonist for the next bit of the story. Uh, we're seeing a lot of that type of stuff where it's kind of passive interactivity. It's basically a bunch of 360 videos stacked back to back, and it just allows you to okay. choose which order they get played in. Gotcha. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well. I think that's a, a good place to end the podcast, unfortunately, but uh, um, definitely I appreciate your time and hearing your thoughts, Eric, about the what you're doing now and kind of the future. It's it's pretty exciting, and the work that you're doing is it must it must be fun waking up most days at least, <laughs> unless you have a, like, a budget is. meeting. <laughs> yeah, budget meetings, or <laughs> you read the next headline about VR being the next 3D TV. Yeah, uh, exactly. And you're like, yeah, that's, that's a pretty depressing day. There's just no way that that could be. I mean, like, I know people get sick of it, but it is just so immersive and game changing. Like when you experience it, like I, like everyone knows where they were at certain points at like, big events in history, and like I think everyone will have their. Where were you when you first experienced like true awesome VR? Because it's like it's kind of mind blowing. And uh, yeah, I, I I do think it's fundamentally different. I think I can you know. List my reasons why I think 3D TV is spelled, but I think the reason VR will win in the, in the at least in the short term is gamers love it, you know. Yeah. And you know there was for 3D TV it didn't have an incumbent audience or a, a built-in audience, whereas this does. Like the fact that Resident Evil has sixty thousand concurrent VR players is huge. Like, and that means it's at least if it's gonna it's going to stick around at a minimum and maybe the gamers. And this is something I've felt a lot. I think it will be a gamers market essentially for the near term. And because they're the ones that are going to put the headset up on, they're technical enough to kind of set it up. They'll deal with the friction of, of setting it up, but they're also kind of a very uh, high maintenance or high uh, crowd. And that's like, they're going to, they're going to beat the, uh, kick the tires and, you know where the rough spots off. They're going to <laughs> complain, and 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 quickly the hardware manufacturers are going to have to upgrade the kit. And and I think 
you know, we're, we're at D1 now. I think, I think for mainstream adoption, it's got to be like D3 and D4. Like it's, I think it's yeah. a little bit ways out. And the only people that are going to like endure it and frankly complain enough to change it are gamers. And luckily that's the core audience right now. So for me, that's a good time. So. Yeah, um, once once I saw the PlayStation VR come out, I'm like, oh, you know, that should definitely help get it in the hands because like the price point is so much lower too, because right, because they're already using the the PlayStation uh, engine or the processing power, so they can just kind of an add on, which is nice. You don't have to buy like a nice computer, your own computer or anything to start running it. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's it's it just makes a lot of sense, and so that gives me a lot of hope, and that's what ultimately makes it convinces me that it, this won't go the way. That's right. <laughs> 3D TV. How am I? Um, all right. Well, yeah. Thanks again, Eric, and definitely appreciate it. And, uh, uh, we'll definitely be on the lookout for all the new content you guys are creating over there. And uh, thank you. And thanks everyone for listening listen to another episode of Flyover Labs. As always, I uh, greatly appreciate it. We'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Thanks, everyone.